Hello everyone and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. It's me, Chris O'Reilly, joined by Brian Capian. Hello, Chris. It's good to be back. It's been a few weeks since I've been on again. Yeah, we've missed you, Brian. And uh, you're here, but Alex is not. Alex is away in Costa Rica researching, uh, doing some scouting for Berta Servas in Costa Rica, looking for the next big handball talent and uh, enjoying some coffee while he's out there. I think it always stings a little bit more when you see people on Instagram posting pictures of their holiday when winter is just starting here. And I think that's that always burns a bit. Yeah. A bit more. And he's in Costa Rica. He's not even in Europe. So that's also kicking the teeth. So not jealous at all. Pretty yeah. sweet gig. Uh, well, pretty sweet holidays got going there. And uh, we won't be alone. We are going to be joined later on to talk about the Women's EHF Champions League by Adrian Costeu. Adrian was also in Egypt for the uh, first wheelchair handball world championship. So maybe we'll ask him a few questions about that because I saw some of the content over the weekend from that championship in Egypt. And uh, it seems like they've adopted beach handball rules for it where spin shots also count for two points. And I don't know if you saw that video of uh, one of the players spinning around doing a 360 on his wheelchair before scoring. Um, I don't know if it was the IHF uh, social media having a laugh, calling it a two-pointer, but the the scoring seems to be beach handball anyway, so maybe it is that way. We'll we'll find out for sure from Adrian and uh, get his impression of that first championship. But we'll talk a little bit about the IHF Champions League in the men's side and a few of the leagues going on. It's also a national team week for the women because the the Euro is coming up soon. Uh, it's only just over a month away, Brian, and we're off to the, the women's EHF Euro. Yeah, it's incredible. It just feels like uh, all of us, we'd know handball for so long and now it's all packed into the next few weeks. Yeah, but we're, of course, really looking forward to it. And of course, for us, us, us as the podcast, we'll be especially looking forward to it because we once again will be the official podcast for the championship. Yo, so we're yes. all buzzed about that. And we hope um, this time... I mean, I think we had we'd, we'd pretty good coverage the last few times, but now we should be pretty good at this this stage. So I think you can expect extra good coverage on site from all of us. I'll be located in North Macedonia and then in Ljubljana. And you, Chris, you'll be... I'll be in Celia, enjoying some smooth Lashko beer and uh, <laughs> doing some work. Not too many, Doing though. some work as well. <laughs> <laughs> and then, in that order. <laughs> and then yeah, the Lashko in the morning, commentating in the evening. Uh, and then, then Ljubljana for the, the main round onwards. And we'll all end up in Ljubljana by the end of the championship and uh, doing yes. some live podcasts as well. And we've got a few pre-championship podcasts as we've done the last couple of times as well and uh, some interesting names lined up. We'll, we'll reveal them as they come. So we'll have a bit of pre-championship content. It feels very early to be talking about this. It's still s- September, but with the Women's Euro being pushed back to November because of the uh, the Football World Cup in December it means that everything is coming on very uh, thick uh, and fast. But we'll speak about some club stuff 
first of all. And well, we've both been doing a bit of Champions League. We've been uh, out and about. We were in Kiel in the first round and uh, looked like when we saw Kiel playing Elverham in that first game of the season that they were looking as good as they have in a while. But then they go and lose to the home of that lovely Lashko beer, Celia, in round two, <laughs> in one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest shocks of the competition. It's only two rounds deep, but thirty-eight, thirty-six, Celia beating uh, Kiel. Which, let's be honest here, I think when we looked at that group and saw that Celia was in there, that we thought they were going to be the the Zagreb of this season, but already proving us wrong. I tuned into that game briefly at the beginning and I saw 8-4 Kiel I was like okay I'm not going to watch this I'll tune out here <laughs> probably the worst decision I've ever made because after that I think it was one man in particular uh, Alex Vlad who mm. came up popped up and I think he scored was it 7 goals in 15 minutes so I mean just I'll have to go back and watch those 15 minutes again but I saw the highlights and some of his goals were, were pretty incredible and I think he's probably a guy that's not on many people's radar Obviously, he's been around the scene for quite a while now. He's 25 years of age and he's he scored 17 goals so far this season. And he played for Zagreb a few seasons ago and his total goals over the whole season was 20. So he's only three away from <laughs> breaking his own personal record. So he's uh, on his way to his best season ever. If he, all he has to do is score four more goals and he'll have uh, beaten the record. But uh, yeah, it was it was quite the incredible performance really, wasn't it? Um Gal Gabrashek in goal obviously had a good uh, a good performance as well. He kind of was instrumental in kind of giving him that that lead. I think it was a 15, 15 11. And uh yeah, it's just I think it's just great to see that because as you said, going into the season we saw Celia in there and it just felt a bit like, oh, poor Celia. But having had a decent performance against Alborg in the first uh, first round, they didn't win it, obviously they, they lost by it was a three or four, I think it was yeah. it. Um yeah, three or four goals. Um, but had a decent performance. I think you can see there they were maybe they were better than expected. And then to beat uh, Kiel at home is just going to give them huge confidence going into their the rest of their home games, especially. So that's going to be great to see it. But I think Celia have always been a club that seem to have had German clubs number in terms of pulling off a surprise in previous seasons. And uh, when we look back, that's that'll be the second time they've had because I think with Celia beat. A German side is always unexpected because I don't want to sound obviously too degrading towards Sally as a club, but they are kind of seen as some kind of like a feeder club to yeah. the bigger clubs that they have these civilian talents that they then eventually just sell on to uh, some of the bigger clubs. A bit like maybe not as big as Ajax, but something like Ajax in football where they develop this talent that it kind of just is farmed out then to the bigger clubs. But in the last five seasons, they have beaten uh, Flensburg twice, Kiel now twice, and then Reinecke Leuven. So they'd have something in their locker when it comes to beating German teams, and they seem to give German teams a bit of a headache. Wow, it's really interesting. I didn't know that was their, their record against German teams in the last few years. That's that's very impressive. And yeah, yeah I mean, just looking at the, the way they played and the, the way they managed to tear open that Kiel defense, just the movement. Alex Salah was brilliant at that. I mean, he just kept moving like it was very Slovenian in a way <laughs> you know they yeah. they they just managed to uh to keep going until until the gap appeared or riding the challenges from the defense very well and you just know how much that would really irritate Philip Icha 
as well. And we saw that on Sunday in the, the Bundesliga game. They played like how different the defense was um, and how focused on it they were because them conceding 38 goals when Kiel celebrate the fact that they have such a flexible and, and strong defense is a real kick in the arse for them. So, yeah, great uh, result for Celia. And I, I don't know if they... I mean, I don't want to make any predictions now. It's only two rounds in, whether that shakes things up in what is a ridiculously tough Group B, like Alborg, Barca, Kiel, Gielsa, Nantes, Seged, and then it's Celia and Elverum, who we all thought would be languishing at the bottom. Elverum are currently languishing at the bottom, but uh, Celia pulling off a result like that is definitely going to make some of these other teams worry that uh, they're going to be in trouble here. And in particular, Seged, who have now lost their opening two games, lost the important one to Nantes as well. But this group is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. That's for sure. Yeah, it's a strange one with Seged, isn't it really? It feels like they lost their momentum at a certain point last season. And then it seems like they've, I don't know, seems to have lost their mojo. I don't know if you have any insight there on that. Well, I was there for that, that playoff game they lost to Flensburg where... Yeah, it just seemed like they were missing something where they never really put up that challenge they were supposed to. And they, they had an opportunity to win that game. Would have got them into a quarterfinal and then anything can happen. But that's been that's a long time ago. And in the first half against Barca in round one, they weren't that bad. Uh, they were leading, I think, weren't they, by a, by a goal at halftime. I mean, they definitely have the players. Something we talked about last year was them maybe being a little one-dimensional in the backcourt with the likes of uh, Bodo and uh, Tunison and Machkovshek in the way that they they play left and right back. And uh, they maybe need to switch things around a little bit. But they, uh, yeah, they were caught out by Barca. Looked okay again for the first half against Nantes. But at a certain point, as Nantes tend to do in the Champions League, they just, towards the end of the first half, beginning of the second half, just turned things around. And they ended up getting a... A fairly comfortable five-goal win. It's way, It's really early, of course, but it's not going to get much easier for Seged. Like their next game this week is away to Kiel, and then they're at home to Alborg, and then at home to Elverum in round five, which is the first one where you're really looking at them, thinking, okay, they can pick up a couple of points here. But then it's almost halfway through the group phase. One team which I'm looking at as well, who I'm a little bit concerned about, and maybe shocked that they don't look a little bit better maybe is is Elvrum I think I don't know if it's the fact that they maybe completely overperformed in other seasons but I think the first two games haven't been haven't been great for them and they're away to Nantes now in the next round I think it's, that's going to be a, a very tough as Bjorn Patson would say a tough nut to crack <laughs> um, Grundal for example I think hasn't looked uh, like he's up to speed quite yet from what I saw when I saw him in uh, in Kiel and I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's maybe they're kind of this is their actual level and they've maybe played out of their socks previously, or is it too soon to call? Yeah, I mean they've they've signed you know a whole new bunch of players. It's it's kind of the problem for them is that when they play as well as they did last season, that their best players like Eric Johansson has has moved on to Kiel, and Dominic Mathe has moved on to PSG. And so it's like, yeah, they've got a, a lot of rebuilding to do. And, and you know, they are a bit like Celia in that sense. They they build up these players, they move on to bigger teams, and then they they scout for the Norwegian and the Swedish talents. And, uh, you know, it's not a 
they're not automatically going to click and be able to compete at that level straight away. So I think it's going to take them a little bit uh, more time. I don't think overall they are as strong as last season. Um, and yeah, Grundahl, I think will take a bit more time. He's finally been called up to the Norwegian national team, which is <laughs> which is which is good. It's only taken a couple of years. <laughs> so. But now, now his confidence is shot, and he's like, it's too much pressure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think I think they'll need a bit of time. I mean, I'm pretty sure as soon as they saw that draw for the group phase this season, they were like, okay. That's just like last season, they were definitely aiming for a playoff spot. This year, of course, they're aiming for it, but I think they're gonna they're gonna see what they can take this time around and not put mm. too much pressure on themselves. Uh, for them, I guess those those games against Nantes and against Seged against Celia uh, is where they'll they'll try to pick up some points. I think we can't talk about obviously the men's champions league without talking about a game which a lot of people were looking forward to obviously it was a replay mm. of last season's final and you were there obviously in barcelona for barcelona versus kielsa did it live up to the expectation first of all for you i enjoyed it yeah i mean it was it was a little bit one-sided in the end uh, maybe a bit more than than people expected but Goodness me, how good are Barca? Like it's it's sickening that after two seasons winning the competition, that they've actually gone and gotten themselves a better team this time around. That is really worrying for everyone else. The game was good. The quality of the game was good. Kielce a couple of times looked like they uh, were going to come back into it. They were the second best team for the majority of the game, and the attack was left a little bit wanting in the first half, thanks to one man. He's back mm. in the Champions League, Le Grand Fromage himself, Emil Nielsen. And uh, I wasn't going to bring it up, but then I saw some people write online about Le Grand Fromage, and I was like, okay. Uh, do you know what the Spanish or the Catalan is for that, Brian? No. Don't no, I don't either. <laughs> ah, so you're asking me the question. Um... Oh, God. El Queso Grande. El Queso Grande. <laughs> Should I look it up? That sounds, like, that sounds like the Spanish one, that's for sure. My Catalan's not the sharpest now, but I presume that mm, a few of those words would be correct. Grande, anyway, I presume. El Gran Formaggi. Formaggi? Oh, yeah. Not too far. Yeah, yeah the, gra- the great cheese I, I put in as the direct translation. Uh, so, yeah. But <laughs> anyway. Were you, were you, well, I mean, obviously, he's a huge sign-in. And I think a lot of people will be excited to see him playing for a club like like Barca, when he can get the, that huge protection of the Barcelona, the, the classic Barcelona defense. But I was surprised to hear that he was starting mm-hmm. over Paris de Vargas, obviously, who's a legend of the club. And it wasn't—I didn't expect that. I think were you surprised when you saw him walking on with starting seven? I was a little bit. I thought maybe. You know, the plan here with, with him is maybe to, to throw him in often and early to get him in there. And then you have a great number two of Gonzalo Perez of Vargas to come in if necessary, which he did in the second half and pulled off four saves. And I actually spoke to Victor Tomas about this before the game because we were sitting basically side by side. He was commentating with, um, with local TV. And... He's not so sure about it all. He, he's, a, he's not 100% sure if having two number one goalkeepers is the way to go 
for these people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both are fairly big personalities in their own way. Both are, are used to being the number one. Like Gonzalo Perez de Vargas was brilliant in the last two seasons because he knew he was the number one. And now it's a different situation. I think, I think Gonzalo would be fine with it. I mean, he's, he's also with the Spanish team had Rodrigo Corrales in there and still he's the number one, but he's got another guy who's used to being the number one beside him. So I think they'll be fine. It, it's, I still see it as a good problem to have, uh, for them. But mm. yeah, I mean, for a game like that, maybe they figured that, um, also, I mean, Nielsen has an amazing record against Kielce. Right, he's mm. uh, some of his biggest days in a Nantes jersey were against Kielce, and so maybe he's he's in their heads a little bit. Uh, he's certainly in Talent Dushabayev's head, uh, <laughs> that's for sure. And um, and so yeah, maybe it wasn't such a big big deal for for him to come in. Um, besides that, just the team looked very good. Like the the signings they've brought in, Nielsen, Karlsbergord is just. Yeah, he needs to shoot a little more, but that that's always the case with him, I think. But he's an amazing, amazingly calm presence in the backcourt where you have a bunch of guys who are just, you know, if they, it was up to them, they'd probably shoot from 12 meters nonstop. And so he's great in there. Hampus Vanna as well. Him and uh, Alish Gomez as two of the best counter-attacking wingers. Uh, yeah, very good position for Barca to be in. And uh, it's funny with Kielce, they... For all the, to- the yeah, yeah, but for all the all the talk we had about them buying all these left backs, and they only had one left back in the team, and that was uh, yeah. Shimon Sitchko because Steinmalm is uh, out injured at the moment. They've uh, sent Kulesh, uh, Vladislav Kulesh, out to Hanover. So yeah, they're a bit, and Halil Yaganyach is off to Rhein-Neckar-Leuven on loan. So yeah, not so deep in the backcourt really. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to see all the Frenchies on the the Barcelona side all having great games. You had Fabregas, he had six, Mem had five, Enguesan had four, and then you had Remily, one from seven for Kielce, Dylan Nahi, one from two, Concou, I think he had two. So, in terms of the battle of the Frenchies there, it was definitely uh, Barca that came out on top. So, I think they'll be, Barcelona will be, will be delighted with that. 12 saves with Fremil Nielsen. And that double penalty save was just classic. Oh, gosh, it was good. Uh, momentum feeding Nielsen, you know? Yeah. And we talked to him on the podcast before. We were talking about different types of goalkeepers and what type of style is he. Is he uh, it was Alex, I think it was Alex asked the question, but he was saying there's a lot of goalkeepers that feed off the momentum and they kind of almost grow into the game. Super Saiyan style and like Dragon Ball Z. And uh, that double penalty save was just uh, one of the biggest highlights. And I felt it was quite nice And Hampus Vanna scored the goal that kind of sealed the deal for them. Mm. Um, it was kind of a nice cherry on top for their uh, signing department. Yeah, yeah. It was their, their, their say, first yeah. first home game in the Champions League for for those guys, the, the new players. So, yeah, Emil Nielsen was loving it. He was, uh, you know, he's looking... He's definitely his outer persona has definitely grown in the last couple of years as well. Like he was lapping it up in the crowd, looking fit as well. So yeah, all all things looking good. And and Lewis Frada got a red card, so he'll be delighted with that. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> it was the most Lewis Frada red card he's ever gotten, and the referees didn't even wait; they just went straight red card. We don't need to think about this. Like that's clearly a red card. Uh, so. Yeah. Oh, you can be so dirty. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. Besides that, a great atmosphere as well. The um, 
the ultras have returned to Barca games. So that's a, that's a real boost. And they were on their feet for the entire 60 minutes. Helped create a very nice atmosphere. So, yeah, big European knights seem to be returning to the Catalan capital. All right, so that, that's uh, that's plenty on on Group B. Uh, we'll save some Alborg chat until Alex comes back in the pod. He can wax lyrical about Miguel Hansen. Uh, over in Group A, only two teams have perfect records. That's Magdeburg, who've uh, had it fairly straightforward so far, and Vesbrem. Have you seen any any of these teams in action uh, in Group A? Um, I saw bits of of Vesbrem, and I think it's I think it's uh, it's looking pretty good for them and I think they're they seem to be flying high at the moment I think uh, some of their signings seem to fit in very well I think Bjarki looks looks great on the wing oh. I think he's a in terms of personality as well I think he's a he's a perfect fit for for a team uh, a team like Vesprem so it seems to be that there's, there's a there's a good vibe over there at the moment Worrying signs for Porto I have to say I spoke a little bit to Marcio Menino about this last week after they lost their first game to Płock and lost at home there to to Vesprem. Different team for them in comparison to the last few years, and you just need to look at the the squad, and it's all of a sudden got a very Scandinavian feel to it. It seems like uh, Magnus Andersen has uh, managed to get a few signings that he wanted, but in Marcio's eyes, there's a bit of a clash of culture, maybe, in, in the way that the, the guys who, who come in, like Nikolai Lesa and Jack Doreen, who are do two very good signings, just maybe clashing a little bit in terms of how they they play compared to the the Portuguese guys. So maybe they'll they'll need a bit more time to to settle into things. Uh, Zagreb doing what Zagreb do, uh, <laughs> two defeats so far. And uh, I only saw their their game against Gheorghe, uh, which they lost at home. Uh, Dinamo Bucharesti, I think. Uh, Looking pretty good. They managed to get a point uh, away to Gheorghe, which is which is very good going. In a that was thirty eight thirty eight, twenty one twenty at half time. So Gheorghe are, are continuing there what they, <laughs> what they did last season in the European League, just scoring ridiculous amounts of goals uh, and conceding ridiculous yeah, amount of goals as well. It's they're a nice addition. It's not a Gheorghe game if you're not if you're not scoring or conceding thirty five goals plus. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's it's a nice it's a nice addition. I like I like. I think I will like Group A for this reason, with the teams like Giorgi, Dinamo Bucharesti, and also Vizsla Protsk, who uh, are your favorite team, Brian. Uh, I think we, we've, at least for me, my my opinion on them has changed over the last couple of years. I think we're not afraid to say that a couple of years ago, we saw them as kind of a, a retirement home for, <laughs> for, for Vesprem players. Uh, and... <laughs> yeah. uh, but they have shifted a lot in the last couple of years and you know, they've got Sergei uh, Kosorotov in there uh, Lovro Mihic uh, Mikhail Dazhek uh, Tin Lusin as well uh, Zhitnikov just a lot of exciting players in there Mirsad Terzic is still in there and Daniel Sarmiento has ju- come out of retirement to join them. So there's still a little bit of the old <laughs> Pots <Yeah>. in there. <laughs> the old school Pots. Uh, Christian Polipovic has joined them as well over the summer. But they seem to be... I mean, they've been knocking on the door of the Champions League for a couple of seasons and uh, they seem to have settled in quite well, managing to beat Porto. And then they pushed PSG pretty hard 
losing 37-33 as well. Yeah, I do like what they're doing a lot over in Płock. Um and yeah, as you say, we have been harsh in the past, but I think probably that has possibly possibly been a strategy of the club. I don't know what kind of cycle they have planned for terms in terms of transfers, but it seemed like they wanted to get a few big names in, uh, marquee signings, which are maybe past it a little bit to a certain extent, which then might lead then to be able to sign younger talent, uh, which that, that younger talent then has turned into being able to sign more more current hot talent at the moment. So I think it's it's a uh, it's it's a great club, and I do like Xavi Zabate a lot as a coach. He probably the most painful loss in handball history. Mm. So I think I'll always have a soft spot for him after his time in Vesprem losing that final against uh, Kielsa, of course. But yeah, it's 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 good to see they're making moves over there. I like what they're doing, and uh, yeah, I think their their real home is is the Champions League. But I think there's probably another team from Group Eight which you should talk about is probably PSG. Yes, because PSG obviously were making a lot of moves in the summer. They've signed. They've probably have the. Uh, with Green and Palika in goal, probably one of the best goalkeeping duos you could have in handball. And uh, there's been a lot of changes. Um, they've kept on, kept obviously the likes of Luke Stein, which I think was been there was maybe some whispers of him leaving, but then he signed a new deal, so it was good to see him him staying there because I think a lot of people like the look of Luke Stein's with PSG, but they have been maybe not as unplayable in the French League as uh, in past seasons because they did lose yeah. to Phoenix Toulouse which was when you look at the Phoenix Toulouse squad going into that game you think there's nothing really here to there's nothing really outstanding they didn't make any marquee signings or any big huge signings during the summer but they didn't make any massive signings um, in the summer um, of course you have people like Nemanja Ilic so you look at the squad there you don't think uh, there's they, they have the the quality to hockey PSG and it did pretty much hockey PSG. You can go back the the league have a great highlights package of there. It's six minutes long. Yeah, you can watch all the highlights. It's a and, good uh, it's a good length for highlights. I think six minutes. Yeah, we did yeah, some interviews at the end and I don't have a clue what they're saying. Yeah. But if I speak French, I'd probably enjoy it. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a good little highlights package there, and it it shows you that they just really played them played them off the court really it was it was quite incredible especially Jeff Lettons in goal I think he had an incredible second half and maybe one of the most underrated goalkeepers I think out there because I've been watching him in the European League obviously all last season and he is a guy that you can I think you can really rely on and maybe because he's not German or uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Swedish yeah. you don't really People don't get too hyped about him, but he is an excellent goalkeeper. Well, and he showed that in the second half with some of his saves. Any any player who's played handball in Dublin, as Jeff Lettens has with Belgium <laughs> against us, uh, has a soft spot in in my mind. And yeah, 40% saver, 16 saves, Jeff Lettens. Some of them were brilliant as well. A few big penalty saves. And I just like the way that they they play Phoenix. And they, they are a club that have over the years uh, been willing to sign players that are not, you know, obvious, like international stars. I think Aaron Forkman is a, is a great example of that. Um, you know, they, that's the former team of Luke Steins as well. You remember. Mm-hmm. So, and they've, um, they've replaced him with a, a similarly speedy 
uh, centre back who's almost just as short as well. But also Nemanja Ilic in there doing doing. He's a player who you feel like he, he had that short time in Barca when he filled in for the the final four for them. But it feels like he should have been playing Champions League for a few years, but for whatever reason has just been happy to stay or or hasn't been picked up. And yeah, they um they were really good in that game. Worrying signs for for PSG though, but it's nice to see that there's a new team at the top of the French league, even after only three rounds. And uh, it's not with three victories, uh, including beating Montpellier uh, last week or the week before last, who were top. And uh, yeah, I don't know PSG that that you mentioned there the best goalkeeper duo with Yannick Rain and uh, Andreas Pelika, but. Neither of them delivering just yet. And even in that win over Potsk uh, in the Champions League last week, just four saves from 37 shots between the two of them. So, yeah, worrying times. I think they. you would assume that both of them will come into form. But uh, the reason why you sign two goalkeepers is like that is that one of them will always deliver. And uh, that's not been the case yet. It's a funny position, obviously, goalkeeping, because you're working so much... You're working so closely with the other goalkeeper. Mm. I mean, you see, you don't see left backs, for example, walking over to the other left backs <laughs> when they have a moment to get. But with goalkeepers, the goalkeepers go yeah. straight over to each other, hand each other water. So there's obviously a, a, lot, a lot of synergy there between goalkeepers. And whether it's the fact that maybe they haven't found that yet between each other, um, they, I mean, they will come good because they're two excellent goalkeepers. But yeah, a bit of a bumpy start for both of them. And I think. The club itself maybe did, probably expected them to get off to a flying start and they haven't, but they are two of the best well, top five goalkeepers uh, in the world, so they should come good. Yeah. And Yannick Green's just a lovely man. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we'll move on to the Women's EHF Champions League and to talk about that, we've brought in Adrian Coste. Adrian Costello. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? It's been a long time. It's been <laughs> <Very> a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm honored once again. Yeah, uh, we, we've also, I think the last one was the, was the Euro. Mm, exactly. Uh, 2020. So basically a lot has happened since, it has. <laughs> since this moment, both in the world and in handball. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good right now. And <laughs> uh, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed handball uh, in the start of the season. Yeah, now you've done something a bit different as well. You've just come back from Egypt where you're at the, uh, the first wheelchair handball world championship. Uh, what did you think of that? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it was very nice. Uh, I think um, having um, handball develop as a sport uh, in, in all disciplines is, is very nice. Uh, and everything went, uh, went well there. Um, I've seen some uh, great um, action uh, there, it was beautiful. It uh, it looked like players were doing everything they could for their countries, which is always nice. And maybe some of indoor handball should do the same. I won't say in which countries, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was amazing. Like Brazil won the, the title, but mm. Brazil have um, had this program developed since uh, 2005, while Egypt, the other finalists who lost in a shootout, uh, only founded their team with uh, one month prior to the tournament. So, wow. uh, yeah, it was it was pretty, pretty amazing. So everybody like uh, did the best they could. So uh, I, I really think that this type of handball has has a future, and it's it's always nice to see 
uh, I don't know, all the projects done, um, even in beach handball, even in, uh, you're more a specialist than I am in, in beach handball, that's, mm. that's for sure. Uh, but also in wheelchair handball in the Netherlands, there is walking handball. I've seen that um, EHF also has like the circle of life. Which, which is pretty amazing uh, because only uh, in this situation can handball develop um, through all of um, throughout all, all of the world. And you, you mentioned there the, the shootout. And that's why we were wondering, Brian and I, just before uh, you came on, whether they did adopt basically like beach handball rules, right? So two sets and then a shootout. Uh, if, if no, it was, it was, it was two or... sets. It was two sets, then a tiebreaker, five-minute tiebreaker, mm. uh, and then okay. they were tied. Basically, Egypt tied with a spin shot with three seconds left yeah. on the clock. So they went to a shootout. Then, yeah, and they started from the half court and then um, scored or tried to score uh, on the seven-meter line. Yeah, oh, really interesting. Uh, so you, you mentioned the spin as well. That was the other question that you you uh, you got there ahead because there was one video in particular which yeah. I think did very well online uh, from Open Play it was uh, a spin of the wheelchair and a shot, and that similar to beach handball is worth two points, right? Yes. Yeah. Also, in four side wheelchair handball, it's 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 double the points, and it really uh, throws like. Um, something that you can't predict on in the in the game because uh, Egypt really tied the game in the final in the tiebreaker uh, with three seconds left, like I like I told you before. So it it really changed the the dynamics of the game. So um, I think it's pretty nice to see the effort is very, uh, is really big uh, to do that to do a spin um, in that moment in in crucial moments, but uh, it's it's really changed the dynamics. So. It throws a bit of unpredictability in the in the game, yeah. And it's it's mixed gender as well, right? You, yeah. you need to have one woman on yeah. the court. Yeah, in the fourth side, you need to have at least one woman on the court. Uh, the Netherlands had two uh, during large chunks of the games, but um, yeah, uh, you 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 need to have one one woman on the court all the okay. all the time. Oh, super interesting. So you, you were you were pleased with your your experience of it, and yeah, happy yeah, to see it, more. Yeah, 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 because like I told you, uh, while there were growing pains and mistakes, uh, the teams really wanted it. So teams like India, for example, um, or uh, Egypt, they really, really wanted it. Even Slovenia managed to come back from difficult moments. Chile played their hearts out, and Brazil, like they were like this well-oiled machine, and uh, they didn't drop a set until the final. Right. So, um, yeah, because their experience was pretty, pretty high in, in this competition. So uh, I think they really deserved it. But all the teams are winners in my eyes because it's, it's really nice to see, to see this. Nice. It's like basically uh, uh, the joy of the children who are, started to, uh, who are starting to play handball. And it's, it's, it's very nice. Nice. Well, that's a, that's a very positive start for the, the sport on a world level, and hopefully we'll see a lot more of it. And, and the other main reason we've got you in is because uh, Bucharest... Romanian become... teams have, have been very good in the League. <laughs> Bucharest has taken over the handball, not just Romania, but Bucharest uh, is the center of the, the Champions League universe with three teams in the two Champions League competitions. And uh, I'm particularly interested in getting your your perspective on the the two women's teams um, who, well, uh, Chesima, you've covered in so much detail over the last few years. And then we have a, a new contender in uh, Rapid Bucharest, Dinamo Bucharesti, you're signing uh, 
bunch of really interesting players and had have had a positive start, I think, to the men's competition. Um, how does it feel to be the, the center of the Champions League universe? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's nice to see two Romanian teams, um, especially doing so good because uh, when we had when Romania had two teams in the in the Champions League, they weren't doing so good, both of them. Um, but right now, um, a lot of money has been uh, invested. And I must stress this, this is public money. Chesame is the team from the local mayorship and local council. Rapid is the team of the Ministry of Transport. And, um, and uh, Dynamo is um, the Interior Ministry. So this is public money, like uh, every other team uh, in the Romanian league, uh, in the men's and in the women. So all teams are funded by local authorities or uh, state authorities. Uh, leaving that aside, it's <laughs> it's pretty nice to see uh, two Romanian teams. Um, Chesame has been a powerhouse uh, in the last few years. Uh, so it's uh, only logical that they are doing uh, good. But Rapid uh, has been a very nice uh, story in the last years. They uh, were they're a very uh, a very old team. The club is uh, celebrating 100 years uh, this season. But uh, in handball, they have there have been ups and downs. The teams are quite. Um, Chesame uh, was born uh, basically from Rapid Zashis. Uh, the coach and a lot of players moved from Rapid to to Chesame when they didn't have any money. But then Rapid was back in the fold. Uh, they went in the first league, uh, relegated to the second, and now uh, I think it was 2018 when they uh, or 19 when they got promoted again. And now they have the money, so they brought in a Spanish coach, uh, the former uh, Spain's women's national team coach Carlos Viver, and then um, brought uh, a lot of players, Spanish players, uh, which are the base of the team with the Romanian ones, and then uh, now there are. Plenty of French players like Lacaber, Canor, um, good transfers. The only thing is that they didn't start the season so well because the expectations are very high now from them. Because uh, last season they were underdogs, but they managed to to snatch the title. The main idea is, and that's also a thing that Vulcha, Sechimarimnik uh, Vulcha, learned on their own uh, skin, is that winning the title doesn't mean that you are building a dynasty because you don't have European games in that season. And when you do add European games, like in the Champions League, you have like 14 games in the group phase and then maybe other two in the playoffs and other two in the quarterfinals, you'll have like 18 games, which is a lot because Romanian teams don't use charters, uh, planes, uh, charter planes like your. And to reach, I don't know, Mass, Christian Sand, um, Odense, uh, other uh, even your um, other teams to 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 play the away games, then you'll have to do a stopover because it's impossible to fly from Bucharest to other cities like that in uh, direct flights. So CSM, for example, in the game against Brest uh, uh, in the second round, there was an air, tra- air traffic control flight in France, and then they reached Brest at five thirty a.m. in the day of the game. Yeah, so, I saw that. I saw their their arrival <laughs> early in the yeah. morning. Not ideal. Yeah, they had yeah they had like twelve hours, I think, a trip mm-hmm. from Paris to Brest, which was very difficult. But they play very good. But then they played Vulcha in the Romanian league, which is a very tough game to play. And then they played against Bittigheim and they drew. So 
you'll be tired. This is it, what's happening with Rapid. The, the team isn't playing very good in the Romanian league. They lost the Romanian Super Cup against SME. But they started the season good in, in the Champions League. However, uh, in my opinion, and it's only my opinion, they played two of the worst teams in the, the, the competition so far in the away games. Um, and they drew against Metz. That was a very good result because they proved they can come back. But tougher games will fall. So it's it will be very nice, very interesting to see how they cope uh, with the schedule in the next months. Uh, this is this is the main question for me right now. But of course, having five points and leading the group after three games, it's is the best they could um, hope for. So maybe they would have liked six points, but. Playing against Mets, which have a lot of experience in the in the in the competition, is like it's 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 very difficult to win because you are a, a team that you have little to no experience as a team in the competition. Mm. And we've spoken a lot about Rapid there in particular. Uh, Chesamere are always an interesting kind of uh, well, you never really know what you're going to get from an outside perspective. Maybe even if from an insider perspective, you don't know exactly what you're going to get each season from them. But at least in these opening rounds, they look as well set as they've been for quite a while. Yes, um, I think uh, it's for a number of reasons. First of all, they brought in uh, Zadi, which is a huge transfer for them mm. because they lacked that far forward at uh, the nine meter line. Uh, one issue, however, is that they don't have um, attacking left handed right back, which could prove difficult. In the end of the season, because teams will prepare for that. Omorege is now playing there. Klikovac, who is mainly a defender, also is kind of like the only experienced uh, right back, left-handed right back. They also have Alicia Gugerla, but she's 21 and doesn't have a lot of experience. Um, so what really happened in is I think uh, Christina Nagu, which is the main player and the the, the top goal scorer of the last season. I wouldn't say that she took a step back, but she is now um, surrounded by better players, which enables her to like don't take any shots needed to end the attack. Yeah. So that's very important for for both Chesame and Nagu. Nagu has a very long injury history. Like uh, she had two ACL tears and uh, a very very bad shoulder injury. Uh, like. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and she's uh, 34 now. So she can't play the way she did play in in, in her uh, youth and in her prime. But uh, the team that Chesame really uh, managed to pull together is, is, is very good. The connection between Nagu and Pinta is also very interesting. Pinta was uh, um, selected like the, the best um, line player in the round, and she plays very, very good. And she knows Nagu very well. Nagu knows her also very well. So that enables them to like use the, the line player for three, four, five times in a game, which really uh, throws off the, um, uh, the opposing defense. So I think that's, that's a very good start of the season for Chesame. But they still lack something um, a bit on the line player position, like Ramusovic isn't the same quality as, as Pintet, at least that's in my eyes and in the start of this season. But also their death is not quite as big as they would have liked to. But um, there were like internal turmoil of the team, a new uh, new manager and 
a new sporting director, let's say, came, Cristina Verzaro, who was the secretary general of the Romanian uh, Handball Federation. Mm. But they came in late. So after they came in, they couldn't bring like nobody. So this is the team, but um, at least the start looks way better um, from what we saw from them in the last three, four years, because they look more like a team, which is very important um, because they were very nago centric let's put it like this in the in the posters and particularly given the the group they have which overall seems quite quite strong uh you know you've got at least seven teams that that feel they will be good enough to get through to the the next round uh, there's only room for six though and then you've got a bit of a uh, a whipping team there in in Bannock Most there uh, there's been quite a few one-sided victories i've noticed in these opening rounds although it seems to be not on a regular basis with every team but there's been a few also surprise hammerings when you look at uh, what happened to fdc against uh Biedekheim the other week yeah it's very it's very interesting to see Franz Bauer playing like that um they it was their their worst loss in history in the champions league so that was huge 20 goals it's it's enormous and i've i've Spoken with uh, Batteries at Vige, um, their line player and their um, all-star defender, let's put it like this, mm. uh, for an interview with the EHF. And uh, she said that she they needed to to get back and to give back to the fans who uh, went with them in uh, in Germany. However, they didn't did not make it. And the, the game against Brest started by by 4-0 for the um, uh, for the French team and it was uh, very difficult to it's very difficult to come back in this type of situation especially if you're not a very very good attack which which Ferenc Varos is not right now and they only score 19 goals which is pretty little for a uh, uh, for a team in the Champions League and Jaukovic scored 12 goals for Brest and then uh, uh, Darleo scored uh, 20 uh, saved 21 shots which is immense in any game. So she had like 43 or 44%. So yeah, Ferenc Varos uh, need to sort out their mess a bit uh, because they uh, look uh, very um, very shaky right now. And every game counts in the Champions League because you don't know who you will get in the, in the um, uh, knockout phase, in the playoffs or in the quarterfinals. And they really want to make it to Budapest. Uh, it would be playing at home and their fans would cheer for them like crazy. So uh, they would have a big advantage there. But uh, I, didn't, I think they need, they need to, to clean up their mess and be uh, better at least in attack. Because also in defense, when you concede 40 goals in a game, it's, it's a lot. But in attack, scoring 39 goals in two consecutive games, you can't win in this situation. Yeah. And, and next up for them is a really tricky one away to Krim, who really broke their hearts last year with the, uh, <laughs> the mid-season arrivals uh, and a game which already looks like um, it could be crucial in terms of not just a good position in the, the knockout rounds, but getting to the knockout rounds. Uh, elsewhere in Group A, uh, you mentioned Biedekheim, uh, who have been really impressive uh, on on most fronts, and definitely in terms of goal scoring, and Vipers, who somehow just seem to be uh, able to pick up uh, really good players when it seems like they might be in a bit of trouble. They managed to pull out Anna Kareva and uh, are top of the group so far. What has uh, stood out for you in Group A? Of course, Bittigheim, because um, it's always nice to see the transition from a second-tier competition to the first-year competition in, in European handball, because 
Bittigheim are now like uh, they have 58 wins and one draw in the last 59 games, dating back to March 2021. Wow. So that's huge for them. Um, but they played in the European League where, where teams are not as good as uh, in the Champions League. But in the first matches, they were like very, very good. Um, especially when they beat Ferenc Varos 40 to 20, double the amount of goals. It's um, it's very difficult to find. I think there there have been like six or seven games in which teams have won by 20 goals plus in the history of the competition. And then going to Bucharest and uh, leading by four goals, then uh, getting uh, the tables turned two goals down and then come back. It's very difficult to do that in a packed arena in Bucharest against a very experienced team. So I think it's it, it's difficult for them to to try uh, and do these kind of things on a regular basis. But uh, they are undefeated right now after three games. Their schedule hasn't been at all easy. The game against Ferenc Varos was the match of the week. Mm. And they um, really kept their core of the team. They lost like two or three players. They replaced them. The team still looks like it uh, doesn't have enough depth. So if there are injuries, it will be interesting to see how they cope with them. But right now, in uh, how they look, they're they're very very good. That that transition, I think, was uh, was seamless. Uh, regarding Vipers, yeah, um, the team was built on a Nor- Norwegian identity first, and they had like a lot of Norwegian players. But now it's an international team with. Irzapkova, uh, with Viahireva, with uh, Jamina Roberts, um, so uh, Knedlikova also in the on the right wing. So I think it's very very interesting to see how they manage to pull this coup and then coming everything coming together. They were very good last season in the final four. I think they deserved the, the trophy no matter what. Hands down, they were they were the best team in in Budapest, and right now they are playing a very, very good brand of handball. It will be interesting to see, looking to the next season, because Ole Gustav Gekstad will leave the team, uh, it will be very interesting to see how they cope with that. Because changing players is one thing, changing the coaches is, is another one. But it's, uh, I would say it's your levels of domination in the uh, Champions League women right now for uh, for Vipers. That's, uh, that's really interesting considering how early in the season it is because yeah. they've kind of taught us the last couple of seasons that they're a team that have built up to it and then peaked at the right time but already getting a, a stamp of approval like that from you says a lot uh, about them and yeah interesting what you said about Biedekheim there they only have 15 players in the squad uh, you, you'd be worried that maybe they turn into a bit of a, a team SBR if they don't uh, you know, yeah. if, they, if they get a couple of injuries and, and end yeah. up with eight players <laughs> so yeah yeah that, that that will be difficult this is what what I'm thinking and uh, I, I I cannot wait to see when this streak is gonna gonna be over because it's an amazing streak put together over the Bundesliga the German Cup and uh, in the the European League last season they won every game in the European League, like 13 games. So that's not easy at all, um, especially with the program. And so uh, the, the team was also, uh, I wouldn't say depleted, but they lacked the numbers. Mm. Uh, but what they have in um, quality is is something great. And uh, the cohesion of the team, uh, a very good job done by uh, Markus Gaugic, who is also the coach of the German uh, women's national team now. 
yeah, and uh, interesting to see how he he gets on in the the coming months with the Euro coming up. Uh, you mentioned a streak there, and, and one big streak uh, came to an end over the weekend as Jure lost at home, and uh, that was quite a loss as well. I, I watched the entire match, and uh, I, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it back. I know you were you were busy with wheelchair handball, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you at least had half an eye on it at some point over the weekend. Yeah, Oftedal didn't play, right? Uh, yes, she got yeah. injured. She Oftedal got injured. Has, a, has a classic nose injury, uh, fractured nose, so she'll be back in a couple of weeks. I, I, I don't know when she doesn't have a fractured nose, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, playing with a mask like, like in football, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, she's, she was a very, she's very tough to replace, especially when you have her there. I think maybe everybody says that's oh look it's easy it's, it's good they have like two players on the same position it's it's very easy to it's not easy to replace such a player because she is the one who dictates all the rhythm in attack and knows um, every defense and knows their her teammates' uh, positions and movements inside out so I think it's very difficult to replicate that. On the other hand, Gior have a very very good squad and. Um, those types of losses shouldn't shouldn't happen, especially against Mess, who like are now a very young team with a lot of young players. But uh, Mayonad did a very good job of of motivating them and uh, having them play as a team, as a unit. So I think your um, I, I don't know how to say it. Your basically dominated the uh, group phase and the knockout phases of the Champions League in the last six or seven years before coming to the final four and first they won but after Ambrose Martin left they had their uh, their issues now Martin is back is he the 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 right man to to lead your can he produce the same uh, energy and the same respect that he had prior to to him leaving i think that's that's the question your needs to uh, need to ask themselves because uh, something clearly is not uh, at the best uh at best there so i i think they need to analyze they have some time of course the players are now leaving for the national teams but um they need to ask themselves some questions and see what's uh what are the answers that's a it's an interesting one you know jur have always been you know so infallible at home and even you know you think back to the the games against Brest, for example, over the years, where they've always managed to find a way back to at least get a draw. And I was watching the game. It was uh, at one point, uh, it was like a six or seven goal lead in the first half, cut back to four by half time. And then you think, okay, they're going to find their way back. But then the second half, Mets seemed pretty comfortable, even when you know they were clearly getting a bit nervy towards the end and they weren't able to find the goals. They they still managed to get the job done in defense and uh and you're you're used to them just pulling these these strings of goals together in the final 15 minutes or so it just didn't happen for them and yeah full credit to to Mets though and uh with Bruno de Paola, Christina Jorgensen and uh Louise Burgard in there they looked they looked comfortable in the backcourt and yeah especially uh, with Bruna with Bruna now settling in after one season she was amazing for Nantes in the European League. She she was the MVP of the EHF finals two years ago. Yeah. But now settling in in Metz, uh, a different team, a team with different objectives, the champions of France. Now in the second season, she really uh, uh, started the season very, very good. 
she's one of the top scorers, I think, in the Champions League right now. But she the, the, the she has this thing that not only goals are important from her, she also sets up the other teammates so well. It's it's very very nice to see. Uh, it's uh, it's very difficult to find players of her quality and her uh, qualities uh, to say uh, to to do a, a small joke. But it's it's she's she's very nice to to see and very difficult to stop. I would I I couldn't imagine how annoying it is to play against her for an entire sixty minutes or or yeah. have to face her in training every day. I yeah. think I think that might even be worse. But uh, yeah. rather to face her in training, I think, than uh, and have her on your team for matches. I guess that's the way they they look at it. Um, w- one last on the uh, on Group B that I think is worth uh, looking at uh, among many, of course, is Team Esbjerg, who have I think a lot of expectation. Coming into this season as well, with the the additions in particular, Nora Merck, who slowly but surely seems to be coming into the team. Henny Reista is doing what what she's doing uh, best: a, a ten goal performance over the weekend against Budućnost. Um, it seems like they they're probably on course to to repeat what they did last season. Uh, have you seen much of them? And and is there anything in particular that stands out to you about them? I haven't seen much of them, unfortunately, but I think they are uh, once again a very good team, a very well coached team. Jesper mm-hmm. Jensen is doing a very good job, both in Esbjerg and uh, in the national team of Denmark. Um, the way he thinks, the way he uh, sets up his defense is very, very nice. And of course, bringing in more Merck was immense for them. Uh, if she stays healthy, then I think the, the pair with Reistad and uh, with, also with Christina Breistel. Uh, will yield very good dividends in in the future. This is a type of move that a team makes to improve from a very good season last season. So bringing in Merck was surely a coup for uh, for Esbjerg, and I think they will be a very tough nut to crack once they all get going. But of course, uh, with Nora, you always hope she doesn't get uh, injured. So I think that's very very important for the outcome of uh, of their season. Mm. And it's uh, a international week at the moment. We're just five weeks away from the women's EHF Euro 2022, which which feels quite bizarre, considering the the season has just begun. Uh, you you hinted a little bit at uh, at Niagu earlier, and uh, all things said that she she will be in the national team for this championship, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She 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 got back to the national team. She had a. Uh, sabbatical year in 2021 because of exactly those injuries and she said that she couldn't play anymore and I think that was the good decision, the right decision. Uh, but <laughs> Romania <laughs> but Romania are not um, are not that good let's say. It's 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 been a whirlwind. I was just doing the profile for the EHF for the for them and uh, in the last six, uh, seven years, they changed six coaches. So, mm. yeah, they, they've changed the coach now. Um, Romania looked quite nice at the World Championship last season. They finished 12th. But uh, it was a normal finish because you, you didn't have Nago in the team. So, yeah. what they did was uh, pick uh, the players they, that played best in the Romanian league and then try to fit them into a system. Adi Vasile, who is just a mess coach, did that very good. Uh, he's like a more... Um, a coach, a more modern coach, with a penchant for speed, high um, uh, high intensity. Um, 
and Romania had some very good games uh, against, uh, for example, against the Netherlands. They missed uh, tying the game twice in the last minute, uh, playing seven on six in attack. And the, uh, le- their right wing, uh, Laura Mois, uh, missed the two shots. Uh, but now uh, the new coach is Florentin Pera, who um, was at Vulcha, who was at uh, CSKA, Moscow, and he came back to Romania uh, for normal reasons, let's say. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, he's more like a defensive-minded coach. So another change, another face of the team, and basically it was like politics in Romanian handball. This is why uh, he was named the, the, the coach of the team. Um, so the group is quite difficult for Romania. Uh, the first group, the, in the group phase, the preliminary round, you have France, the Netherlands and North Macedonia. So uh, with three, uh, three teams going to the main round, I think Romania will do it, but it will be very difficult against France and against the Netherlands. And if Pera, uh, manages to, uh, instill his way into the team, I would see the game against France finishing like. 1917 or something like that <laughs> um but yeah that's that's just a small joke but uh you see, you know um the main difficult the main the main uh thing that is very difficult for the for the team and for Pera right now is that they don't have much time together they now have the carpathian trophy where they'll play austria serbia and spain three days uh 29 30 september and 1st of october and then You'll have just a few weeks prior to the Euro, so it will be very difficult for him to uh, put his ideas on paper and uh, change the the team. Also, you have Nagu. Nagu is the, totally uh, the the boss of the team in the Romanian national team, so she doesn't have that kind of help um, that she has at CSMS. So um, many of the Romanian players are not playing or playing. Uh, in, in, in weaker teams. Uh, the future, like uh, Lorena Ostase, who is a very good line player, uh, just recently, this season, this summer, signed for Rapid because she was playing for six years, I think, or seven years at Slatina, who is a team that I think they never finished uh, in the top 10 of the league. So you have all these small problems that create a puzzle and you'll always uh, end up in a bad situation um, as Romania comes. So uh, the, the last year, the last year, they finished on, on the 12th spot. So that was the worst ever placement in a new row ever for Romania, who uh, qualified for fi- 14 of the last of the 15 editions of the competition. So, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Well, we'll see if uh, what happens this weekend changes your opinion in any way. Um, good that they have Miyagi back. And I'm sure we'll talk more about, Romania as we get closer to the championship and, and during the championship as well. Uh, I think that game in the 9th of November against North Macedonia is going to be uh, pivotal. Let's let's see how they how they deal with the occasion yeah. because I'm pretty sure uh, with them being the home one of the home nations it won't be one that they uh, they give up easy. But really interesting to get your insight on on everything. Thank you so much, Adrian, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Anytime, of course. Thank you, Adrian. Before we go, uh, a few other small things. Uh, I uh, have been following a lot of the Bundesliga for obvious reasons, as now I'm commentating, uh, spending my Sunday evenings with the Bundesliga. And uh, we we talked a little bit about Kiel earlier, but for me, the thing that stands out 
with the Bundesliga so far is that uh, it's four teams that are unbeaten still after five rounds and seem to be kind of streaking away at the top. It's Kiel, Reinecker, Leuven and Magdeburg with perfect winning records. Berlin drew one game with Flensburg. Uh, besides that, have won the rest of them. And it's it's very much a case of the league being split into two already with um, with Flensburg just behind them having lost to, to Reinecke Leuven. I don't know if you've been following much of the Bundesliga so far. I've been following the results and I think probably the biggest surprise I think for a lot of people has been the revival of Reinecke Leuven mm. through uh, Sebastian Heinze, who's the, their new head coach there, Seppel as I call him uh, with uh, by his nickname and I think that's been I think the the Reinecke Leuven bit result over Flensburg I think was a shock for most people I don't know were you shocked by that I think that's well I, I didn't expect that I was mostly shocked to hear that it was the first time they've beaten they've won at home against uh, Flensburg in five years which is <laughs> that's a that's a long painful run for them and yeah I was watching uh, I was watching some of that game and uh, Flensburg had a great chance right at the end to draw level, uh, which would have been another dramatic draw for them against a big team. But a, a big save from uh, Joel Birlem, who was like their third-choice goalkeeper, uh, was he had a bit of a breakthrough match. And yeah, I mean, they they, they haven't signed too many players. I mean, the, I think the big signing for them was uh, Halil Yaganyac, who's come in mm-hmm. from Kielce. But besides that, it's kind of them resetting a little bit because they had such a bad season last season so to see them top of the table with a perfect record that is a surprise for me yeah they're open a match i think against uh melzigan was where they really put the marker down there against our favorite money bag team melzigan, <laughs> who, who haven't had the best start down in 11th place so i think uh yeah knowing how they do business they'll have their their head coach knocked uh kicked out within the, uh, before the for the midway point. Yeah, well, we've already had one coach sacked already. That just happened. Uh, Stuttgart's coach, uh, Rory Sanchez, has been uh, given the... What is he? What are you given? You're given the, the proverbial boot. Given the proverbial boot <laughs> after losing all of their games. Uh, a bit of a surprise that they've had such a bad start to the season. Uh, we talked with Rasmus a couple of weeks ago after they signed Oscar Bergendahl, like whether they like he could help them going to take the next step. Uh, also brought in Silvio Heinefetter. It just hasn't worked out for them so far. But a, a team that has come up from the second Bundesliga, who are flying, is uh, Gummersbach. Old Gummersbach, mm. coached by Gudjan Valer Sigurdsson. They've got four wins out of five. Only losing to Magdeburg so far. So a uh, really nice start to the season for them. And yeah, I think it's turning out to be an interesting season already. And for the first time, and this is something that pe- people have complained a lot about over the years, that you couldn't watch the games. Uh, people have complained about it. We've complained about it. But now around the world, you can watch it on HBL TV. And every now and then, I'll be there with you on a Sunday afternoon, uh, commentating from home, just like I am here, the same spot. It's magical. That's lovely. <laughs> Do you notice any difference between to commentate in the Bundesliga versus the Champions League or Euro? Uh, so far, not really. 
I think, you know, the the teams I've covered, it's either been Magdeburg or Kiel or both of them in every game so far. <laughs> so yeah. um a lot of a lot of familiar faces. It's nice to see some of the some seeing some kind of random blasts in the past as well. Uh Hanover Kiel was a good game uh, on Sunday also because Hanover have have built a very nice squad as well. They've they brought in Branko Vujovic and Vladislav Kulesh from Kielce. Uh, annoyingly, Kulesh was only used for like five seconds. He scored two goals, and, and then you wonder, like, why isn't he being used the rest of the time? Yeah, I think it'll just be it'll be good to see uh, these big contests and and nice to be able to to commentate on them because often I found with the Bundesliga, the big games have kind of just snuck up on me, and like you'd see them on you see they're happening, and then it's like, oh, it's too late or it's already halfway gone. So I'm keeping more of an eye on it proactively instead of uh, reactively this season so uh, that's nice to nice to do and i think yeah with the with the title race being a bit more open than it's been for a long time i reckon yeah i reckon so and as you said about gummers back earlier i think it's gummers back need to be in the bundesliga don't they so yeah. it's it's great to have them back i mean you always want the teams that you grew up watching the bundesliga in the Bundesliga to be back in the Bundesliga and the Gummers back losing by two goals to Magdeburg and win all 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 the other four games I think is uh, is a good sign for them. But uh, yeah. talking about Magdeburg, I'll be going there this week now to watch match of the week Magdeburg versus PSG, which mm. should be a really great game I think. And it's uh, probably the first ever match of the week in Magdeburg. Yeah, will be because it's been what. I think 17 seasons 17 17. seasons yeah yeah so it'll be uh i think a special night i'd like to think because uh the champions league i think in comparison to maybe other german clubs i think it holds a bit more of a special place for magdeburg oh yeah than some of the other clubs who've i will not name (laughs) tired of playing champions league handball in patent seasons gone by but yeah, looking forward to that. That should be a good one. Yeah, and a return for Yannick Rain already uh, against yeah. the soft team. So yeah, fun times. Uh, besides that, I've just got a couple of other small things. A lot of injuries happening at the moment. Uh, some, so we were talking about the Women's Euro. Uh, Melanie Nokandi won't be in the Women's Euro, which is uh, sad to see. She's hurt her left knee. Uh, Stina Oftedal has fractured her nose. Seems like something she does every few weeks. Uh, but she should be back in uh, back in no time. Not so good news for Sven Erik uh, from Kiel, their young right wing. Uh, he's out now, basically for the rest of the season. He's ruptured his ACL. Uh, so I wonder, Bevan Calvert, is he going to get another call up? Uh, is he ready? <laughs> is he ready for us? Uh, and uh, as seeing as the the men's Euro qualifiers are coming up next month, and I think we'll talk about that as we get closer to it because it's going to be a Interesting qualifying campaign. Uh, they won't have Elias Ellefson Eskipagotu, who has, we spoke about him, uh, where his future may lie. He is indeed going to Kiel, as uh, I think you and Alex predicted uh, for the young Faroese boys. He's going there next season, but he's out until February, as I think he's getting a uh, like a precautionary knee surgery. So something that he's been struggling with for a while. So I think they're just going to, Try and take care of that and have him ready for the the important part of the season. But that's a blow for Sevahoff in their hopes to, to progress in Europe and for Fair Islands as they they hope to qualify for the Euro twenty twenty four. 
your favorite competition and mine, Brian, the Men's European League, is going to be 32 teams in the group phase from next season. What do you think of that? That is a lot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of European League. That's a lot of European League. I I mean, I do like working on Tuesday nights, but uh, I'm not sure if I like working with 32 teams on a Tuesday night. But uh, it is a lot, but we'll see. I mean, yeah, I do like the European League. It's raw. It's dirty. And uh, maybe the the more the merrier. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one, opening it up like that. I think it's going to be eight groups of four. And then the top two go through to like a main round. And then it's like uh, four groups of four, then quarterfinals. So it'd just be like an elongated group phase with um, with more or the same amount of games, actually 10 games yeah, in the group phase and the main round, but just more teams involved. So, yeah, I think it's good. I mean, I don't know if, I, if they should all be on Tuesday. I don't think that's decided yet. Maybe Monday, Tuesday is the way it'll have to go. Uh, to make that work because it's a lot of games 16 one night is yeah. is a bit too much to deal with so yeah we'll see well where can we hear you in the mic next then what's your next outing it's sunday don't do the, i don't do the champions league this week uh it's going to be one of the other lads taking the mic for magdeburg and psg but i've got a, a classic in the bundesliga a modern classic mt melsungen against fuxer berlin so that is uh, that's a fun one. I'm looking forward to that. Can Melsungen prove us all wrong, or will they just get their ass kicked by by Fuxa Berlin and by young Matthias Gietzel? I think it'll be the latter. I think we we'll leave it there for today. Well, we thank you, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. It's good to be back. It's good to be watching handball, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye.